Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. They consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Hi, my name is Carrie Seaburn, professional engineer, and this is Unstruct. Unstruct is the podcast where we share the stories from within your walls to help you understand how they stand today. Hello, and welcome back to Unstruct. In this episode, we're going to take a little break from talking about specific buildings and talk about business a little bit. So, I have been a sole proprietor now for 13 years, and I've just learned quite a few things about business that I think probably pertain to small firms, and perhaps some elements could pertain to larger firms as well. And I think it also crosses the lines of engineering and goes into kind of just general business concepts. So I think it would be great for kind of the general public too. So I guess the thing I want to talk about today is your energy and like your personality. So who you are, because the fact of the matter is people work with people that they like to work with. So I think technical competency is expected and a given. So if someone in particular talking about structural engineering, if someone is hiring a structural engineer, they will expect that they are technically competent. And then kind of from there, work with the people that they like to work with, work with the people that deliver on time, that have good communication skills, that have a nice deliverable, that are pleasant to work with. So there are so many things that are kind of thrown our way day in and day out. And sometimes it's hard to always be upbeat. So I just kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit and talk about the things that you can do to mitigate some of these things that come up. So 
The first thing I want to talk about is saying no. So I have a good friend and a mentor that has taught me that no is a complete sentence. So that is totally the truth. And I have a history of maybe being a little bit of a people pleaser. So I hate to let people down. But sometimes a clear no is so much better than a lackluster yes. So I think figuring out what is a no or making a no-go list, no-go list, really helps to kind of decipher if a project is right for you, if it's a good fit, because you have to decide which ones are no so that you can make room and space for the things that are yeses so that you can fully commit to these jobs that you'd like to do to the ones that are a heck yes I want to work on this so that creates a proactive business approach instead of a reactive business approach so without forethought going into that sometimes we're just responding to phone calls and actually I should just admit that I spent a lot of my years just responding to the calls that were coming in and saying yes to everything that was coming in because I thought that's kind of the way that business worked when in reality you have a little more control over that and you can be a little more proactive. Yes, when you're starting out, sometimes you have to say yes to everything that comes in the door. And honestly, I was actually kind of taught that approach to when I first started out in business. But what I've come to realize is that you kind of have the autonomy or you do have the autonomy to say yes or no when something comes in your door. So you have a lot more choice to make it a proactive approach so that you are in control and doing the things that you want to instead of just responding to other people's needs. Because a lot of times when you're only responding to other people's needs and requests, you kind of lose what you need for yourself in the middle of that. So, you know, it just gives you a little more autonomy then to work on the jobs that you like. So here's like a thing that I have been saying to myself lately. So like I said, had a tendency to be a people pleaser in the past. So when I am letting people down or perceivably letting people down, I just say to myself that I am not a people pleaser, but a valuable contributor to the right team. So those are kind of the keywords. They're valuable contributor to the right team. So that also gets into worth a little bit and your value that you're bringing to the table. We're not really going to get into kind of setting your worth, knowing your worth, setting your rates, that kind of stuff in this podcast. But it just alludes to that a little bit, that you are a valuable contributor to the right team. So there's keywords in there, right? Valuable and right. It's not always the right team. So the (laughs) trick is trying to figure out what is the right team. So no is better than a lackluster yes. So You know, sometimes if you don't want to let someone down or if the reasons are beyond, you know, what you're able to think in the moment, I guess, for whatever reason, sometimes we say yes and we don't want to say yes. It's a job that we don't want to do or that is not a good fit or, you know, there's a various myriad of reasons, I guess, as to why a job wouldn't be a good fit. And sometimes when we say yes to those, it it just, it really affects the ones that are heck yes, the ones that we really like to work on. And that's actually where a go, no go kind of checklist kind of helps isolate or highlight those things on a granular level that maybe is not feeling based in the moment so that you can kind of decide if it is a go or no go. So when I'm saying yes 
to the jobs that are maybe not a great fit, a lot of times what I have found is they get pushed to the side in my own mind and I'm working on the things that I want to work on, the things that are great fits. And sometimes those lackluster yeses can create a breakdown in communication with those clients. And, you know, in the end, no one is really happy. And that's that's not <laughs> a good place to be in as a business owner. So if you can be clear with the communication at the beginning and say no right away, it kind of cuts that thought, I guess, so that you don't have to worry about that and everyone is on the same page. And, you know, it's good to, if it's not a good fit, just to get it off of your plate so that they can find someone that is a good fit if you are not. So I've just found that sometimes if I have a breakdown in communication with the client, a lot of times that is coming from me saying yes to a project that is not a good fit. So moving a little bit, moving on a little bit, another thing that I have found that I have to do. So I know a lot of times in bigger firms, there are set deadlines, there are benchmark deadlines for every phase of the project. It's much more organized and locked in in that regard. But I've found as a sole proprietor, I'm working on a lot of smaller jobs and I don't necessarily have deadlines for these projects. So It's very common for a client to just say, hey, I need it done as soon as you can. Well, as someone that doesn't want to let people down, it's been easy for me to not look at the whole picture and focus on the person that I'm talking to in the moment. And a common answer for me for a long time was, yep, I should be able to get to it in a couple of weeks. So what I actually started doing is writing down all of the jobs in my queue and the amount of hours that I think it's going to take to complete for each project and then extrapolating my schedule out based on those two elements to see from a very non-biased, objective approach, kind of how far out my schedule actually is. So that way I have that date or that time frame in my mind for when the next person calls up. When I want to service them right away, I know that 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 date is already set. And another trick with that, with the deadlines, not a trick, but it's just wise practice, I guess, to allow for margins. So We're in the construction industry. Things come up all the time. There's so many moving parts to every project that you're on. It's never going to go as expected. So things always pop up. So one thing I have really learned to do is to set margins. So that means I am not scheduling 40 hours of billable work per week because I need to allow a certain amount of time for unexpected things to pop up. Hopefully they don't, but if I have those margins in place, at least then when things do inevitably pop up, they're not tacked on to the end of an already super full schedule, which, you know, obviously creates a lot more stress. So that's something that is important for me. And actually, like, I've also found that I don't hate Mondays. Like, I love Mondays because they're typically very productive and because I have margins. And part of those margins is not working on the weekends, not working nights, and not working weekends because a lot of people's jobs or most people's jobs, it's very brain intensive. We have to be thinking and have to be 
clear and refreshed and the way that that happens for me so that I can be sure that I am putting out my best work is that I have to take time off. So that means I need to rest at night and do things with my family or, you know, just do things to recharge. And that also means on the weekend so that I can hit the ground running with a eager (laughs) mindset, I guess, come Monday morning. So I know that's maybe not popular opinion, but yeah, I do love Mondays. And I think those are the reasons why. And also like, if you don't take care of yourself first, you're not able to take care of your projects. So that goes for employers as well. You have to take care of yourself and your employees. Otherwise, those projects are not getting adequately taken care of. Because like we talked about at the beginning, your energy is everything. So if you are bitter or burnt out, that comes across in client interaction, client communication. So if you don't have a good attitude, people aren't going to work with you. It's actually as simple as that. Because like I said earlier, people expect you to be technically competent. That is not enough to keep clients coming back to you. You have to be (laughs) pleasant to work with. And I think this gets talked about quite a bit, but setting boundaries with clients and being clear with what those clients are. Because just like we were talking about with the energy, if you don't set those boundaries. There's a bunch of things that go (laughs) unsaid and there are unmet expectations sometimes. So without setting a clear boundary and being an advocate for yourself and for your time and for your design, sometimes if those things are not done, if a boundary is broken and it's in your own mind but not spoken or something that you know, you have an expectation, a client has a different expectation when those expectations do not align. A lot of times there is resentment and I guess things that eventually come to the surface that need to get talked about. But it's just a, you know, kind of a passive aggressive area, I guess, which is never good as a business owner or in any interaction for that matter. So it's always good to set those boundaries. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, right? To say, I need this much time or I need this much for my budget. This is what it's going to take. But I think in the end, clients will respect you for stating the boundaries. And especially, you know, another important thing is to be consistent with those boundaries. So I've thought about this analogy in the past, but like if you think of a line of people, like it's Christmas time, there's a line of people waiting in the post office to mail their packages one after the other. It's their lunch break. So, you know, maybe there's 20 people in line and everyone has the same one hour lunch break, but there are people that got there first and people that got there last. And it's kind of like the person that's maybe like fifth or sixth back in line, stepping on a line, going up to the counter and saying, hey, I will pay twice as much if you can just fit this in and mail my package right now. Or, you know, if there's someone, you know, eight or nine places back and they just keep yelling out, hey, what's the estimated time? Like, even though they've already been told and they know they just keep calling it out, it's, you know, setting back the whole system. So that's something that I've tried. If you take that analogy to the work setting, tried really hard to be consistent with boundaries. So 
you know, sometimes people, they need things done fast, but I am (laughs) a strong advocate for not allowing people to jump in line. So everyone gets treated with the same respect. And, you know, the boundary is it, it, here's where the schedule is. And that's where your project is going to fit in because it's not fair to the people that have been waiting in line to move you up in line. So that's just something that I have set as a kind of a standard practice for the business. So yeah, I guess clear and consistent is the main thing. And the other thing that I have really been trying to work on this year is only excellence. So not perfection, but excellence. So this means that I can't be overcommitted. So I have to set those boundaries. I have to allow for margins because I want to bring my best energy, my best you know, can do attitude for lack of a better word to each project that I'm working on. And I want to be excited to work on it. I want to be excited to work with the people that I'm working with on it. And I want to be really good with communication and letting everyone know what I need from them and hopefully, you know, giving them what they need from me. So it's just something that I have to be very careful to not overcommit and allow for those Margins, because I hate that feeling of being underwater and just responding to everything that you possibly can get to and probably not able to get to everything. I want to make sure that I'm on top of everything. So then, you know, that kind of goes right back to the proactive versus reactive business model. So to summarize, there's a lot of things that go into bringing your best energy to the job and to your profession. It doesn't just show up automatically, but hopefully these are some tools with you know setting boundaries, having a go, no-go, kind of deciding checklists for projects, using no as a complete sentence, allowing for margins and such. So hopefully this is kind of helpful in that regard. I want to switch gears a little bit and just talk about taking risks because it's something that I'm super passionate about. So what I have found is that I have to get uncomfortable sometimes. So I am fueled by getting uncomfortable. So hence the podcast, honestly. So this is way outside of my element. I am an introvert by nature. I wanted to get better at speaking. I am very passionate about structural engineering and these stories that are being told. So I wanted to take the risk to kind of have this platform to share these stories because I honestly do think they need to be told. And I do love connecting with people and talking with people. So yeah, here it is, but it is super exhilarating. So Another thing with the energy that we were talking about earlier, what I have found is that there are certain things that you do that fuel your soul. So maybe that's not the day-to-day cranking out numbers, calculations that you're doing. Maybe you love to do that, but maybe it doesn't really light your soul on fire, but there's something else that does. And maybe you don't even get paid to do that thing. It's important to find those things because the energy that is created in those processes, that energy is brought to your profession as well. So it kind of goes right into your energy and bringing that great energy. So I have found doing things that are uncomfortable a lot of times really energizes me and helps me to actually stay focused on my engineering stuff and be passionate about my engineering stuff as well. So 
hopefully this inspires you to find something that you are passionate about as well and kind of pursue that path. So there are stories that need to be told, especially in structural engineering. I know stereotypically sometimes structural engineers are introverted, maybe considered quiet, humble, shy away from the spotlight. They don't want to be the center of attention, which I totally get that. And I feel all of those things too. But sometimes it's important for us to be brave and vulnerable. I know, hard word. But yeah, brave and vulnerable to put stories out because these buildings, the things that structural engineers are doing right now in this point in time is so fascinating and really think these stories need to be told. And the other thing is like, how is the younger generation going to know that this is a viable career, that this is a rewarding career if these stories aren't being told? It's not something that you can pick up from a textbook. It gets picked up from stories that are being told of people that are actually doing these things. So yeah, I hope this inspires you to put your work out there to be vulnerable, uncomfortable in search of that exhilaration because I think you will find it. So maybe that means saying yes to writing an article in a technical journal. Maybe it means saying yes to a speaking engagement, saying yes to a podcast invite, wink, wink, (laughs) or reaching out to someone to be on a podcast. Or heck, maybe it even means starting your own podcast. I think it's very important that we all support each other. We are not in competition. We are in collaboration in this industry. We are in collaboration to build a better world. And I think that is super important that we are not competitors. We are collaborators. So yeah, maybe start your own thing. Don't be afraid to go after the big fish. It's exhilarating to think that just maybe you might catch it. It's a form of dreaming. It fuels the rest of your decisions for the day. So yeah, keep dreaming. Go after that high reaching far-fetched idea that you think just maybe you would love to do it and see what happens. And in true unstruct fashion, I am going to leave you with a song. So typically we have a theme song for the building. I'm going to do a theme song for this episode because I can't resist putting music to something that I'm doing. So the song would be Distant Cousins. Are you ready? So check it out if you haven't already. And I hope it inspires you to go after the big fish. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Unstruct and know someone else who would, please share it with them. And if you enjoy the work that I'm doing here in general, I would really appreciate your rating and review on Apple Podcast. It goes a long way to help others find the show. Speaking of finding shows, Unstruct is part of the Gable Media Network, a place where you can find even more content like this. To see the catalog of shows focused on our built environment, visit gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Lastly, if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe before you go so that you don't miss the next story from within the walls and how they stand today. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging. 
the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.